all three of them have LBJ talking to someone while he's taking a taking a poop with <laughs> the bathroom door open. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans. We're three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State, share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. This week, another movie about Texas' first president, Lyndon Baines Johnson. Let's talk about LBJ, starring Woody Harrelson. But first, what's your favorite cut of blue jeans in Texas? Uh, I don't know. Probably whatever 501s they have at the Miller Outpost by Bayberg Mall. <laughs> probably, probably acid washed, button fly, you know, the usual. You just uh you just rock rocking that Canadian uh Canadian tuxedo, man. It was the eighties. What can <sighs> I say? Well, I'm gonna say for me I'm gonna have to get some Wranglers, a nineteen eighty one urban cowboy cut. And what's the matter with you, sissy? <laughs> Go back and listen to that Urban Cowboy episode, folks. Uh, Z Cavaricci. No, I don't, I don't know that I've actually had any Z Cavaricis. How about Lee Rustlers with the knee patches? Now, that makes more sense. The Cavari- got it, I, got him, I got him at Gibson's. <laughs> Gibson's. I got these knockoff Cavaricci-type pants at Mervyn's. That sounds like Wieners. That was the, <laughs> the store in town for us. Yeah, Wieners, yeah. yeah. Did you have a Wieners? thought we were the only ones that had a wieners. No, that was a department store, right? Yeah. It was, part, it was the discount department store. Yeah. It's like the uh, Marshalls of its day. Yeah. yeah. I remember. Now, until I was about 11, I, every, all, of my cl- all of my jeans had patches. Jeans and yeah. corduroys. It's because so, they're more durable. Yeah, yeah. So they made an LBJ movie, and it stars Woody Harrelson. <laughs> but what's interesting about this is that this movie was one of those famous films that was on the the well-known blacklist which is not the blacklist of the 50s they're just these are interesting scripts that get submitted to this underground review and then uh, it turns out that people were collecting these interesting scripts but when they started to get made into films they started winning awards getting a lot of praise so it's a really well-written script that's uh was passed around in the Hollywood underground. Right. Yeah. It's unproduced screenplays like the best, the quote unquote, best unproduced screenplays. Yeah. Um, but, so yeah the movie, but then the movie it was, was produced. By, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was directed by Rob Reiner, who is a famous he's a, he's actor, a famous he meathead. meathead. Yeah. He played meathead, but uh, he's been a director since uh, the, uh, this is Spinal Tap um, several years ago, many years ago. Um, and like I said, stars Woody Harrelson as Linda Baines Johnson, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee as Lady Bird Johnson. Uh, if you remember Jennifer Jason Lee, she was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, most famously. Mm. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, Richard Jenkins plays Richard Russell, which is the part that um, uh, Frank Dungella played in All the Way. Uh, in Jeffrey Donovan, who was in what was the show he was in? He was in Burn Notice. Burn Notice played Michael Jeffrey, West. Yeah, Jeffrey Donovan. Jeffrey Donovan, Donovan from Burn Notice played JFK. Um, and then a bunch of other actors. Uh, notable Texas actor Gary Grubbs played 
Everett Dirksen, who was the Republican senator, uh, which uh, he was featured in the other movie. Uh, and then C. Thomas Howell plays Walter Jenkins, who is LBJ's assistant. Um, so oh, the interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, maybe talk, while we're talking about the cast, it's interesting to me that uh, uh, Jeffrey Donovan played JFK in this. Uh, I was looking at his IMDb page. He actually played Bobby Kennedy in the movie J. Edgar from 2011. Ah. Well, so, well, all he needs to do is make a movie where he plays Teddy Kennedy and he'll yeah. have the trifecta. Okay. Well, well, since we're starting into this, I mean, I have <laughs> yeah. to, I, we're starting early. You get Jennifer Jason Lee and C. Thomas Howell. And so I have in my notes here, C. Thomas Howell, exclamation point. And then I have Wolverines written huge next to it. <laughs> he's forever. Wolverines gonna... go to Washington. Uh, Wolverines! And if you remember last week's episode, when we talked about the Texas International Pop Festival, he was in the movie Soul Man. Yeah. But let's not let's not hold that against him. I mean, he was in Red Dawn, <laughs> so he gets a little bit of a pass. But, yeah. but you know, it was just, oh, look, look there's Thomas Howell. And, and so, I, why am I not watching Red Dawn? Why am I watching this? biopic um yeah, but so jennifer has... G- but hang on didn't then jennifer jason i went who's playing lady bird and i'm looking i'm looking and i oh it's jennifer jason lee okay now i get it but so much makeup this felt like a eddie murphy kind of joint where yeah. we're gonna put on these the fat suits and we're gonna put all the makeup and we're gonna play a bunch of, you know the yeah. but it wasn't didn't have any of the charm of coming to america yeah. And it would have been better if Woody Harrelson and Jennifer Jason Lee had just played all the roles and done a bunch of different makeup, <laughs> make em ups. And it's and it's hard to unsee her after you watch The Hateful Eight. It's hard to see her in anything but The Hateful oh, Eight. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you see her as Lady Bird. Like, Lady Bird's a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, what I liked. So the movie has an interesting structure. So the first half of the movie um, uses the the motorcade from the Love Field to Dealey Plaza in Dallas as a sort of framing structure. Uh, and LBJ is in the car, um, and he's kind of shunted to the third car behind the president. Uh, and uh, he's thinking back over the past uh, four years to when he was the Senate Majority Leader. Uh, and then as he tried to make a run for president against uh, to or rather tried to make a run for the nomination for the Democratic Party uh, against Kennedy and the, sort of the feud that developed between himself and Bobby Kennedy uh, and the also the conflict that he had with fellow Texas Senator Ralph Yarborough, played by a uh, great actor from Independence Day, Bill, Bill Pullman. Independence Day. Yeah. Oh, and why you're sleeping. I thought it was the guy from Spaceballs. And from Spaceballs. Yes. Thank you. He's a prince. This will be our <laughs> he, Independence Day. He was in. Uh, he was in Mr. Wrong with Ellen DeGeneres. Also, oh, yeah. he was in that other one where he gets hit by a train. With yeah, a, that's why you were sleeping. Uh, yeah, I will say that in an interesting bit of synchronicity, um, right before I watched this movie, LBJ, uh, I was flipping channels and saw that Lake Placid was on TV. Mm. So that kind of primed the Bill Pullman pump for me. Yes. Well, so the yeah, so I like the structure of the first half of the film because he's thinking through these different these different incidents that like led him to the place where the, where he was, um, becoming elected vice president and basically going from the most powerful man in the Senate and essentially pretty much like the second or third most powerful man in the country to uh, being side 
sidestepped and, you know, marginalized as vice president um, and not able to get his own agenda uh, and his own power. And he's really more interested in power than anything else, uh, not able to get that going. And then, uh, you know, the midpoint of the movie is the assassination of the president. And he, then he becomes president and all of a sudden everything turns around uh, and um, he is now faced with being the Southern Democrat uh, and uh, being faced with the idea of having, you know, is he going to continue Kennedy's legacy? And I think that's really the moral crux of the one of the moral cruxes of the movie is, is how is he going to have his legacy and how is he going to use Kennedy's legacy, Kennedy's dr- dream and, and for his own motivations? Um, I think the second half of the movie was a little we- less we- less strong. It was a little weaker um, and a little more, I guess, stagey and not as not as like dramatic and interesting as the first part of the movie. Well, you know, here's the thing. I guess is it. It's interesting to see that they you have a piece like all the way that we watched with Cranston, and then you watched this film, and you know there are some shots and some things that really created some interesting scenes and pieces of this film, where you see the presidential jet sitting on Love Field. You know they they had some really interesting visuals and set pieces and uh i will say that jay donnie is one of my favorite jfks um Mm -hmm. i'm really you know he's right up there with bruce davidson on my list of of favorite z jfks i thought yeah he had the he had the vocal cadence and the sort of the mannerisms down of jfk without it being he had that that voice without it being like the a parody you know of yeah well it was a it was not like he yeah it was a faithful portrayal, I think, without being a, um, you know, mimicry it's, or yeah, a caricature. Right. Exactly. Right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't. It's a. It's an actual George Bush impersonation, not a not a Dana Carvey. Not yeah. A guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and, but the other thing I guess is that you know, seeing that film and seeing this film, is a. But I, I think to the episode we did about the Christmas summit with the Germans in. The Perdinalis. Right. And I think about that episode, and I and there are aspects of LBJ's life that are outside of the character of what he's remembered for and what's portrayed in film. And there's this focus on these pieces, but there's this whole part that they sort of scrape over in these films. And this is more of the high-level stuff here, but, you know, yes, he's powerful. Yes, he gave people the treatment. Did he understand toilet etiquette? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, but you know, um, they, but you missed some of the the some of the diplomacy and the heart and soul that he was so good at mm-hmm. historically. Yeah, right. I that one of the biggest contrasts to me, you know, watching since it's it's hard not to compare the two since we watched them so near each other. They were produced um, close to each other too, by the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so this was that. Um, is that um, this one, uh, LBJ, directed by Rob Reiner um, and starring Woody Harrelson, this one um, seemed to really portray the and centralize around LBJ's conflict over um, 
kind of departing from his Southern Democrat roots and moving toward a more progressive viewpoint in the world. And, you know, he, it, it all kind of, both of them kind of coalesce around that speech that he gives to Congress in, in some ways. Um, this film kind of ends with it, whereas it's kind of a, you know, shifted towards the beginning, I think, of All the Way, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Um, so they, they cover overlapping time periods a little bit. But um, that conflict is front and center in this film. And I think there's a lot of that in, you know, one, one thing that, st- that stands out, it's funny it ties into it, because we were talking earlier, Sean, about doing the phone call to the tailor and talking about the measurements in his suit. And we talked about how an actual recording or whatever of uh, him, you know, that phone call or whatever, he doesn't hesitate when he, when he uses the word bunghole. Right. It's like that's just comes right out. But in this film, uh, Woody Harrelson and his portrayal, there's a little bit of a pause there. And, you know, y'all were like, well, he would never pause. He would just say it. And then in my mind, the pause is not um, to me, it was the pause of LBJ trying to edit himself in mixed company, you know, and I think that kind of ties in with that whole portrayal of you know, internally of him struggling with, okay, this is what I came from, this is what got me to power, but I can see that that's not the way forward for our country. And so that's like a very central conflict, you know, character conflict in this film. Yeah, and I think that the difference in the performances with between Woody Harrelson and 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 uh, Brian Cranston is Woody Harrelson, well, his voice, he doesn't have the voice right, and he doesn't have the cadence for, for LBJ. Because uh, and Cranston did. Cranston totally nails the vocal cadence. Uh, Woody yeah. Harrelson has a bit more. Like one of the things I thought about Brian Cranston is he did a good job of portraying it, but LBJ was a large, physically intimidating man, and Woody Harrelson is a is a big guy. I mean, he's he's tall and he's got broad shoulders, and so he, he kind of captured that. But I think that where Cranston really had the edge in the performance was that shift that could occur just in the drop of a, just in a dime of, of going from, from vulnerable to hard edge and back. And I didn't see that as much in Woody, Woody's performance. There's scenes where he's yelling and he's angry, but it's not that, that razor sharp cutting brutality that Cranston's character really had. All right, I'm going to say two things here. The first is is that I think I think of that scene in Wayne's World where the old guy is trying to really give that speech. Yeah. <laughs> and he he's he's trying and then you see Michael Myers step in and says like can we can we get a better actor and then Charlton Henson steps in and does the exact same speech and you just yes. wow. You okay, I get it. <laughs> that is a bit of now, you know Cranston versus Now that is to say is that yeah. Woody Harrelson was also, this was, you know, I have a note here that says, you know, is, this is meet the clumps makeup. And I think it's yeah. hard to act through the kind of prosthetics and pieces. But then that also begs the question, why did they cast Woody Harrelson in this film? Yeah. Why could they now, not have found some an older, more distinguished actor that yeah. he was, could you just stepped into a light makeup and done this? Yeah. Now, to be fair, um, Brian Cranston did his film version after performing the stage play for who knows how long. Right. So he had the benefit of many, many months worth of rehearsal and performance to really inhabit the character of LBJ. So, and it's obvious when you watch that film, because you watch and go, this is just a play. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, well, and it's like, and there's moments where like, is this is this LBJ? You know, it's like I having not lived in the lifetime of Lyndon Baines Johnson and only having like snippets of video and stuff. Um, it was a lot easier for me to fall into believing um, Cranston's performance. Again, this yeah. this is a bit like, but this movie to me was it was well made. It was Rob Reiner. It had the beats. It just it was missing something for me. And to me, it kind of goes back to you can pick Armageddon or you can watch Deep Impact. And I'm an Armageddon guy. <laughs> I'm just gonna watch it. You know. And but I'm to gonna... get back to yeah, to get back to this film in particular, I did find it interesting that some of the the moments that stood out to me were in some of the um, I want to say early on in the film, but it's hard because of the the flashback structure of it um, when exactly certain parts occurred in the film. But like the, the moments where um, LBJ was you know trying to decide how to handle the things around uh, JFK's assassination, you know. Should I go ahead and be sworn in now? Should I wait till we get back back to Washington? Yeah. Um, making the phone calls, you know, condolence calls, and writing the letters, and it's like part of all of that is like I wonder how much of that was um, embellishment, how much of that was you know factual documented things that he did, you know, all of that was uh, was very interesting to me to see those moments played out because I don't think I'd ever seen those portrayed in film like yeah that. the the calls to all the cabinet members saying i need you more than jack kennedy did you know um i thought that was that was really that stuff was very fascinating yeah uh, now one thing that i did appreciate and that meshes really well with um all the way is just it really i do think they still portrayed lbj as a good um negotiator and good mm-hmm. um maker or making things happen sort of guy yeah deal maker you know it's like that that's very much evident in this film is like he was going to do whatever it took to get things done right well and when he was vice president is he was given the bone to be the the chairman of the equal opportunity uh committee or something like that equal opportunity employment yeah equal opportunity employment committee and one of the things he said was that i'm i'm the only person the candidates don't speak southern and the Southerners don't speak Kennedy, and I speak enough of both of them that I can I can give them both, make them both give something up to get what they think that they want. So yeah. I think that was really good. Um, so yeah, so the, that's the movie really the movie really kind of frames things on him as vice president, him as him, you know, in the assassination, and then it ends, like you said, with that first speech before Congress where he lays out. Their reasons for continuing Kennedy's legacy and and continuing the Civil Rights Act, or you know, introducing the Civil Rights Act of '64 without changes from what Kennedy had originally written. The all the way, it's framed on he becomes president to he's got to get reelected president, and that's really the framing of it. And so he can continue his agenda into the next term. And and the, the the Civil Rights Act is sort of in the middle. It's the middle piece. I think that it was more clear. Uh, it, it seems like all the way was a bit closer to history in that the final break with Russell in real life occurred after the Civil Rights Act. Ah, okay. Uh, in, in LBJ, you know, the scene, I thought it was, you and I talked about this. I thought it was a little bit stagey, but yeah. a, a little bit unrealistic when he calls, when he tells Russell, he's a, he's a racist. Uh, yeah. in in the well, in the office and that 
break seems to occur there, but in in reality, and and in the all the way, Russell didn't like it, and he fought it, uh, and in the end, he continued to still give a little bit of support to Johnson until it, they actually didn't. Their friendship didn't end until after uh, 65, 66. Well, but here's the thing that I would say, looking at this as a film, is is interesting, is there are some great lines in here. There's some great great scenes. There's some good writing. And so I can imagine reading this script, why it jumped off the page of people. Really good set pieces. I mean, there's some great set piece scenes. I like the part where he's, you know, there's a part where he's sitting down with Russell. And... I think in both films, Russell forms such a great foil because he's he's a friend, he's a mentor, he's a colleague, but he's also an adversary, mm-hmm. and he's dangerous. And then you see these two dangerous men angling for how to get the you know how to get one up and get the thing that they want at the end of the day. I'm giving you I'm giving you all this, Lyndon, but I'm not getting anything. And well, no, you're getting all this, but you know we could turn this thing around. And you see the way they go back and forth. But there's a statement he said where Russell quotes him somebody and said, you know, about um, a quote of his own, of Lyndon Johnson's own, when he was in opposition to civil rights litigation in in 49. And he said, well, you said that. That's what you said. And then he makes a, a strange statement where he said, you know, he talks about that we talked about secession and said we had great men. There was a whole bunch of great men. Who almost right, destroyed America. That. Yeah, that was yeah. Johnson's line. There was a whole bunch of great men who almost destroyed America through you know, then and he makes this this statement to him of you can be a great man and make bad mistakes, which I thought was kind of ironic coming from LBJ. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a famous picture uh and actually an influenced uh House of Cards in the portrayal of the character of Underwood, uh, of of in the in the Oval Office in 1963, uh, Johnson and uh, or not I'm sorry in the uh, in the cabinet room, uh, Johnson and Russell and they're nose to nose talking about something, uh, and Johnson's giving him the treatment, and uh, I think that's a that's a that's a that's an image that that I, sort of occurs several times in both of these movies. Um, I liked there was a talking about good lines. There was a line uh, early on in the movie when he's talking to Ralph Yarborough, who uh, again was the Texas senator, uh, who was a famous liberal. Uh, and he said, "There's nothing worse than a Texas liberal," <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. And there's another line where he talked about there's 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 no the you can't fight a martyr's cause and you can't discount a Texan's balls or something. Texan with yeah, balls, or yeah, something, something like that. Effect, yeah, that was great. Uh, you know, he, the other thing I want to talk about. This is an interesting little tidbit here. Uh, first of all, I've seen three movies that have come out in the last, you know, five, six, seven years about that it featured LBJ, and and one of them was all the way. One of them was this one, and another one was uh, Lee Butler's. Uh, or sorry, Lee Daniels, the butler, and Lee of Scribner played LBJ. All three of them have LBJ talking to someone while he's taking a taking a poop <laughs> with the bathroom door open. And um, so I think that's uh, that's kind of that and the uh, the the Taylor the Taylor speech seemed to be LBJ's 
one of his lasting legacies is his uncouthness as as a person. Well, I think that stands in contrast to the image that's portrayed and thought of in Kennedy being this royal family of, you know, mm-hmm. high-minded East Coast, you know, super elites, very classy yeah. and, you know, in touch with fashion and all that piece of it. And then, you know, here's old LBJ. He's, he was old world Senate politician, came from dirt, nothing, and just, you know, was was his image was built around something completely different. Yeah. But, well, but, but what's lost in that and what I think is lost in some of these in is lost in this character piece is his viciousness and his intelligence and also you what you saw was the pathos of what he wrestled with because it was such a play type of a performance you saw Cranston in all the way was wrestling and just tying himself in knots over these issues and in this one you just see it's hard to even see the anger under all the thick rubber masks. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Now one, now one thing I did like um, is the motorcade scenes in Dallas. You know, we talked several years ago about how Dealey Plaza looks today and how it's in a large way been preserved. Uh, and that area downtown Dallas, um, it makes a I mean, obviously, if you're going to film, you don't have to find a place that looks like Dealey Plaza to film a recreation of the assassination of President Kennedy, because it looks like largely like it did then. And it was neat to see downtown Dallas looking like that with the cars and the people. Um, I remember being at work downtown uh, during that couple of weeks when they were filming that. It was not long after they'd filmed the uh uh, the Stephen King uh, miniseries, the 11, uh, 63, 63, uh, or I'm sorry, 11-22-63 uh, that starred uh, James Franco. And, and they used, large, it was largely the same way. They blocked off these streets. They had a whole bunch of old cars driving around downtown Dallas, and then all these film crews were set up to film these these scenes. Uh, but, you know, it's you can look at that at that those scenes are driving through Dallas and you can still see the Dallas as it looked back in 1963. So I thought that was really neat to see. So let's, let's turn the corner on this and then say, you know, is it good history? Cause we can talk about it as a film. We can talk about them as performances, but does it capture the real LBJ? Does it capture some real elements of Texas? Does it, does it really bring you into the story? Well, I, Again, I think it, you know, this one I think is a pretty decent companion to All the Way in the sense that it, like I was saying earlier, it spans, you know, it overlaps in time. And it kind of, I don't know, I was thinking it kind of serves as a little bit of a prequel in the sense that it sort of sets up the the real fight that LBJ uh, had in getting the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act passed, you know, Um I, I think as far as history goes, it, it continues to give a pretty good portrayal of what the core character of LBJ was and what his strengths were, as well as his weaknesses. Um, so, I, I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like a documentary, but 
um, I think it does a pretty good job of of showing what those those issues were and what that that time period for um, the first Texan president really was. Yeah, I, I think you could add you could throw in another movie uh, that came out around the same time, and that was uh, Selma, which was mm. excellent, excellent movie. It and it had Tom Wilkinson as LBJ, and he's playing LBJ as trying to convince Martin Luther King to not go through with this march to to hold back so that he can get uh, to try to get some more leverage on uh, doing the Voting Rights Act uh, and and the civil or actually uh, the Civil Rights Act. So I think it works that someone works well with, as a companion piece with obviously with all the way because of uh, because Martin Luther King features so heavily in that movie. But um I think the three movies work well. I think LBJ has some very interesting things. I really, like I said, the first half of the movie I think is excellent and is very good history, uh, showing Johnson's struggles as vice president. And then the framing sequence of the assassination is probably one of the best ones I've seen uh, of, of any of the films that I've seen. So I think that's that stuff is really good. I, I wasn't as impressed with the second part of the movie, um, but I think it I think it still works well. So what is the what do you feel then from a history point of view about that these movies go well you know uh JFK died LBJ became president he fixed civil rights and then nothing really much happened until the 80s <laughs> I, Yeah you know I are mean, we are we glossing over the second half of his presidency the the troubled well, spot there I was going to say they, they sort of they give it lip service in all the way, and it's a post-film um, title card in LBJ. Uh, yeah, there were like seven his, of those. his experience. Well, I'm just saying I'm speaking specifically of his yeah. uh, handling of the Vietnam War. Right. And you know, if if LBJ can be lauded for his efforts in civil rights, I think the biggest black mark on his presidency would be um, the Vietnam War. It it really is. It, it's a it's a tale of two presidencies in, in so many ways. He, there were many positive elements of his his foreign policy uh, as president in in both administrations. Um, he. Did continue a lot of the the negative things in Central America and South America in terms of, you know, supporting some dictators and and throwing troops into you know, uh, uh, suppressing democratic movements. Uh, however, you know, he did. There was a lot of positive dem- democracy and positive diplomacy that he did, like like we talked about the barbecue summit. Uh, but the but the Vietnam War just cast a shadow, a complete shadow over his, his international, his foreign policy presidency. Um, but if you take the Vietnam War away, you really have perhaps one of the most remarkable and one of the most successful presidents in American history. Um, just the things that he got accomplished. Now, whether or not you want to agree that the great society that he introduced, those programs were the right direction for this country, that's neither here nor there. The fact is, is that they did introduce so many positive movement and changes in, for all Americans uh, in this country. Um, and so if you look at those things, you know, his record is is really unassailable. 
Well, let me ask this question, Sean. So, uh, you know, why not tell a story then where the mechanism becomes you show the successes and the high points and then you show the low points of the later, you know, later in his presidency or you show the decline of this thing. I just, I don't know. I think it's an interesting that they just show these snapshots. Yeah, I think the problem is, is that in the past, I mean, the dominant narrative of LBJ is the failure of his you know, Vietnam policy. And yeah. I think that's been the dom that's been a dominant narrative that they've had. You know, Michael Gammon played him in a path to war and mm-hmm. you know, a number of years ago. It's that's it's hard to get around that. And so but I think as we passed the fiftieth anniversary of the Kennedy assassination and we looked at you know the fiftieth anniversary the, the over the past several years of his you know of Johnson's, you know, five years of presidency, there's been a reevaluation of of the choices that he made and the decisions that he made. I think that the the Vietnam uh, documentary that Ken Burns did really opened a lot of eyes to the complexities of the Vietnam War. That is not that the Vietnam War was not cut and dry. It was not a black and white. That there were huge mistakes made by the United States, but it was also in a lot of ways. Uh, a, a, a trap that we found ourselves in that we couldn't get us get ourselves out. So I think there's empathy for the choices that were made um, based on based on you know those perspectives. So I think that's you know there's a lot of reevaluation of LBJ. I think the good thing that this that both of these movies don't shy away from is the fact that JFK had. I mean, sorry. The the good thing that both of these movies did not shy away from is that LBJ was fairly racist uh, in in the manner of his time. You know, he was somewhat progressive in his attitudes, but he still had a lot of racial attitudes about people. You know, there's a scene where LBJ has to refrain, you know, use the Negroes instead of another word in the the Kennedy's presence, because, you know, that's what he's used to calling them, uh, calling African-Americans. So, you know, there, but he also shows empathy and sympathy for African-Americans in, in both movies. So, yeah, I, I I think it was it stood out to me that they used the exact same anecdote of him talking about his his cook and her difficulties, you know, and he, I I do think they did a good job in both of those instances of um, showing his empathy for that situation, and I think they went through a lot of effort to show that um, again that he was trying to to change how how those you know, how things were perceived. He was trying to change it in himself as well. I think that yes, both, yeah, that's what I meant. He, he was he was trying to change his own attitude toward things. And he recognized the cost too. He recognized yes. the political cost the from a from a pragmatic perspective. He understood the political cost of making that decision, that the making those changes, and he chose to go forward with them anyway. Well let me ask the last question that we always wrap these up with. Uh, is it worth watching? Because I think so. It's free on Amazon. If you're an Amazon Prime member, you can watch it right online on your Prime account. Yeah, I think it's I think it's worth watching, um, and I think it's especially worth watching if you watch it as a companion to All the Way. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, and I think the order that we that I watched it is, is probably the better way to do it. Um, it. At least it just felt that way. 
um, to watch all the way and then kind of watch LBJ as a, like I said, as kind of a prequel of sorts. Um, I, I think they go together pretty well. Um, I think they give two slightly, you know, um, differently, um, per, per, two different perspectives on the same character, same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it doesn't hurt to watch and it, it is not a bad movie. It's just one of those things of it is a biopic or biopic, however you like to say it, you know, you do you man, but it, it hits the bases. It tells some tales. It hits the big notes. I think if you really want to get into LBJ's life, you've got to go into those Caro books, and that is a Herculean task of reading. <laughs> They're amazingly, painfully hyper-researched and accurate books. I don't know that there's no more known on any president, but after this guy, when I when I read one of those volumes, much less the rest of them. So uh, I I saw on on Facebook somebody pointed out that Robert Caro has spent more more of his life examining LBJ's political life than LBJ's political life lasted. <laughs> yeah. We hope you guys enjoyed the show. Go watch the movie if you want. Uh, and let us know what you think because, you know, this is a this is what art is about. It's to be discussed. And, you know, did you like the interpretation of it? Is there things that upset you? Things we miss talking about? And just let us know. Head over to our social or to the website. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. Well, if you love the show... Tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you join us next time and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Texas.